Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be grieving the Holy Spirit. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in the 25th verse, It says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Verse 30 is very important. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We find here the concept of grieving the Holy Spirit. Many preachers talk about this a lot. In the church today, it is far too common that this verse is misunderstood. Many preachers teach that we grieve the Holy Spirit anytime that we sin or go against the word of God or do anything that isn't pleasing to him. But we have to ask ourselves, is that really what it is? If this was really the case, The Holy Spirit would be grieved at everybody every day because we all sin and miss the mark daily. This makes grieving the Holy Spirit commonplace and it takes away from the weight of what is actually being said. Grieving the Spirit is far deeper than that and it's much more rare than that. It goes far beyond committing a sin or failing to please God. So then we must ask ourselves, what exactly does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Before we can answer this, There are some other things that we need to look at first. We need to remember that as the third person in the Trinity, he is God himself. He is as much God as Jesus and God the Father. When we think of our relationship with the Lord, many Christians tend not to think of it in terms of the Holy Spirit. The same way that we talk to and worship Jesus and God the Father, we need to talk to and worship the Holy Spirit. We need to commune and communicate with him. He is God. He's not some other outside entity, and when he is grieved, we need to know that it's not some outside spiritual force that is grieved, it's God who is grieved. Understanding that we have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit is the foundation of our study today. We need to take a closer look at the relationship that we have with the Lord. Our relationship isn't a binary servant-master relationship, it goes much deeper than that. In his word, God has told us that he views us as friends. 
John chapter 15, verses 14 to 15 tell us, You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. This is what made the difference in Abraham's life. James 2 and 23 tells us, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. The word in Greek for friend in both these verses is philos, which as we know is one of the four types of love in Greek. The concordance says for philos it means a friend, someone dearly loved and prized in a personal intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear and a close bond of personal affection. The root phil conveys experiential personal affection, indicating that philos expresses experience-based love. This is the way that the Lord views us. He loves us and he prizes us and he desires to truly experience us. This is a relationship. It needs to go both ways. Every relationship in life is a two-way street. We need to love and prize the Lord, including the Holy Spirit, in the same way that he does us. And we should desire to experience him in the same way that he desires to experience us. This is all part of our relationship with him because we are his friends. He not only views us as friends, he also views us as more than friends. He also views us as family. When we were born again, we were born into God's family. John 1 and 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Lord has adopted us out of the world and into his kingdom. Galatians 4 and 6 says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are his children. He is our Father. He seeks our best interest, and he seeks to provide for us and care for us. And this is the way that the Holy Spirit views us. Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then verse 16 tells us, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Then verse 17 goes even further. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Family is the deepest relationship that we can have. This is how the Spirit sees us. He sees us as friends and he sees us as his family. The next thing that we need to look at is grief. We must ask ourselves the questions, what is grief, and how and why does God experience grief? Since God is a spirit, he is supernatural, which means that he is outside of nature. This means that we're not dealing with natural grief, but rather we're dealing with spiritual grief. Grief is not something that we usually think of as having a parallel or a counterpart in the spiritual realm. But there is a spiritual grief. In order to better understand spiritual grief, we need to first understand natural grief. Noah Webster defined grief as the pain of mind produced by loss, misfortune, injury, or evils of any kind, sorrow, and regret. We experience grief when we lose a friend, when we incur loss, when we consider ourselves injured, and by sympathy we feel grief at the misfortunes of others. This definition gives us insight into spiritual grief. When we think back throughout our lives to the times when we've experienced grief, it is almost always because we've lost someone that we love, 
either a family member or a friend. It's rare that it has any other cause. And this is no different when it comes to spiritual grief. So what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? He's grieved when he loses someone that he loves. This isn't the same type of loss that we think of in the natural. We tend to think of loss through the lens of physical death because it creates a separation and a gap that we're not able to bridge in the natural. But this is not the way that loss should be perceived in the spiritual sense. In that realm, physical death is not a loss at all. It's a gain. Because it's not a separation, it's the opposite. It unites us and joins us together with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 tells us, We are confident, I say, and willing rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Loss of someone that he loves for the Holy Spirit is when he either starts to or completely loses the special relationship that he has with you. He is grieved when he loses you. How does this happen? How does he lose someone that he loves? It's always the fault of the man in the rare case that this does happen. It's never the fault of the spirit. The second half of Ephesians 4 and 30 says, Whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed is an important word. In the Greek, the concordance says that it means to seal, signifying ownership and the full security carried by backing of and full authority of the owner. Sealing is the ancient word, served as a legal signature, which guaranteed the promise and the contents of what was sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14 say, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. We have been sealed by the Spirit. He has promised to never leave and to never forsake us. He is always with us. We never lose the seal. So we're still left with the question, how does he lose the people that he loves? He loses the people that he loves when people try to usurp his position in their lives. He is meant to be the centerpiece and the central focus of our lives. But every time that we try to make something else the center, no matter what it is, and no matter whether this is done consciously or subconsciously, he loses a part of us and it grieves him. The word grieve in Greek in Ephesians 4 and 30 means to distress, to grieve, to pain, to vex. The concordance goes on to say that it means deep grief, to experience deep emotional pain and sadness, severe sorrow and grief. It is very intense, and the same word is even used to refer to the pain of childbirth. This is what the Lord feels and experiences when he loses even a piece of us. The same way that he loves us unconditionally and gave all of himself for us, he expects the same from us. He expects us to love him unconditionally and to give all of ourselves to him. He expects nothing less than full surrender. When we don't give him full control of our lives or try to hold back some part of our lives from him, it causes him grief. He is our loving father. He always has our best interests at heart. And he will use us as his vessels to do great things in and through us if we give him control. John 16 and 13 tells us, How be it, when he the Spirit of truth shall come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. This is what the Spirit wants to do for us. He wants to guide us. 
He wants to take us by the hand and lead us, but we greatly limit him when we don't give him free reign in our life so he can do as he sees fit. More times than not, when Christians hold back a part of their life from the Spirit, it's done subconsciously. They do it unknowingly. It's their flesh trying to hold on to its last vestiges of control in a person's life. And when this is realized, a daily battle ensues to overcome the flesh and to give him the full control that he rightly deserves. The other side of the coin has to do with when people consciously hold back parts of their life from the Spirit. This is a decision that is knowingly made to turn from the Lord and give control to someone or something other than God. It's important to note that Paul told the Ephesian church not to grieve the Holy Spirit. This is the only time that this phrase appears in the New Testament, relating to the Spirit. Why would he tell them specifically? In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1, Jesus says, Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Then in verses 4 through 5 he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except I repent. Jesus was speaking to the Ephesians. They were prone to turning from God. It says that they left their first love. When you lose something, you don't know that you lost it. But when you leave something, you know that you left it. It's done knowingly. The intention behind the action is not good. It can even be malicious in many cases. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 63. In Isaiah chapter 63, beginning in the 7th verse, it says, I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us, and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them, and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled, and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Verse 10 is the key verse. It says, But they rebelled, and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. In the English Standard Version, this verse is translated as, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy, and himself fought against them. They rebelled and turned away from him. The enemy and our old nature try to do this. They try to pull us back into the world. They try to take the Spirit's place in our lives. And this problem of turning away became a problem in the first century. Stephen, the first martyr, said in Acts 7 and 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. When people give either their flesh or their enemy too much control in their lives, it causes them to resist and rebel against the Spirit. This is a dangerous road to go down. It's important that when we realize that this has been done, that we turn back to God. We have to have a change of mind, and this calls for repentance. This is why Jesus said in Revelation 2 and 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. This is a call to turn back and start over. We serve a God of second chances, 
who always welcomes those who turn back? What happens if people don't turn back and make the choice to harden their heart to the Spirit? In order to answer this, we have to go to the book of Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in the first verse, it says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold the possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why have Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. This is an extreme example of grieving the Holy Spirit, and not turning back. Ananias made a conscious decision to lie to God. Nobody was forcing him to sell the land. He could have kept it, but he wanted to make it seem like he was giving to God, when really he was doing the opposite. He was lying to and stealing from God. He wasn't just lying to Peter. He was lying to the Holy Spirit. And this made what he did even that much worse. Peter said in verse 4, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. That word heart in the Greek has to do with our spirit the innermost part of our being. This is something that he had plotted for some time. He was putting forth an effort to do evil. His intent was malicious. How did a member of the early church go from outwardly professing Christian faith to lying to the Holy Spirit? The answer is in verse 3, which says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? We find here again, the concept of keeping and holding back from God. He didn't give the Spirit full control, but instead opened the door for the devil. The devil not only came in, but he filled his heart. He didn't just attack his heart or influence his heart, he filled it. This is beyond oppression. This was possession. The devil completely controlled Ananias, which is how he influenced him to do such a heinous thing as lie to the Holy Spirit. As we saw earlier, in Ephesians 4 and 27, it says, Neither give place to the devil. Romans 13 and 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not the provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. He wasn't filled by the devil overnight. It didn't happen in a moment. It was a process. It happened little by little, until he was completely controlled. He failed to guard his heart. He gave the enemy a foothold into his life. Then he became oppressed and then possessed. That's the way that it works. He completely turned his back on God. 
He refused to repent when given the chance. And we see the result. God smoked both he and his wife dead. The same happened to him as we saw in Isaiah. Isaiah 63 and 10 in the ESV said, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. He turned against the Spirit and the Spirit turned against him. The last thing that we need to make note of is the contrast between the phrase Satan filled thine heart and what our inheritance is as Christians. Ananias was filled with Satan, but we are called to be filled with the Spirit. Acts 4 and 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Ephesians 5 and 18 tells us, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is our command. Ananias is an extreme example, but that's not our inheritance. We are filled with the Spirit. That's why we're listening to this program today. Others may turn from God, but that's not us. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 38 to 39 say, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We're not of them that turn away. That's not us. We've all made the decision to stick with God until the end. That's why we're listening today. We haven't and we won't grieve the Spirit because He hasn't lost us. He still has us and He has all of who we are. We've been sealed with Him forever and no man and no power in hell will ever separate us from Him. He is forever within us. Now it's our job to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 16 tells us, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is God's will for us today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, and that you filled us to overflowing. Lord, we are not of them that turn back. That's not us. That's not the inheritance that you have given to your people. We are of them that keep our hands to the plow and keep moving forward in faith no matter what. Lord, we know that the enemy and our flesh are going to try to attack us constantly, try to pull us away from you and keep us distracted from going forward with the Spirit. But Lord, today we renew our commitment to not only be filled with the Spirit, but to walk in the Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you influence every area of our lives when we give you full control. And Lord, we want you to have all of us. And Lord, we want you to know that we love you and prize you the same way that you do us. And that's why we want to give all of ourselves to you, because you gave all of yourself for us. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done, and all that you're going to do. We know that you have great things set apart for your people. And we thank you that those great things are soon to be manifested in our lives. And we know that we will never grieve your Holy Spirit, but we're going to walk in the Spirit so that you can take pleasure in us as your vessels and as your people. And we give you all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins 
and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.